Good morning. In today's headlines, the debt ceiling bill now moving to the House floor. How it cleared key hurdles last night and what House Republicans tell us about the mood in the caucus. Some tense moments over the South China Sea. A Chinese fighter jet makes some aggressive moves at a U.S. military plane. The head of the U.S. Border Patrol is retiring. Find out when he plans to depart after over three decades of service. Russia says Ukraine intentionally hit a residential area of Moscow in a drone strike. Hear how officials are responding to the alleged attack. NTD will host its very first beauty pageant. We met two of the honorary advisors who shared their personal stories and what they think makes this pageant special. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Wednesday, May 31st. Yeah, big news on the debt deal, Evelyn. That's right. If Speaker McCarthy is right about the 95% GOP support, it may be in the clear. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if Democrats can move past some of their concerns about rescinding COVID money and also those work requirements for SNAP. Yes, and we'll have to wait and see. And while you're preparing for your day, we want to bring you the details on a breakthrough for the Biden-McCarthy debt limit agreement. The House Rules Committee last night voted to advance the bill to the House floor in a narrow vote, with all Democrats on the panel voting no, along with two Republicans. What's next and why the House GOP remains divided on the deal? And today's Iris Stow brings us the latest from the Capitol, from the Capitol Hill. Good morning, Evelyn and Kevin. We're now just five days away from a potential default. And the latest development here is that the House Rules Committee has successfully overcome opposition within some GOP members to move this bill at least to the House floor. The key seven to six vote came on Tuesday after very intense debates at a hearing about if this bill does enough to satisfy Republican demands while avoiding a default. Watch. We barely touch anything in the mandatory world in this deal. We should, of course, be addressing mandatory spending as a conference and as a Congress. We're not really. So basically, some hardline conservatives, including ones on the committee, were saying that they oppose this bill because it does not go as far as they wanted to target some of President Biden's legislative priorities, such as a student loan cancellation plan or to cut enough spending in the government. But we're also hearing from another group of Republicans and perhaps a larger group of them who say that they do support this bill because it does satisfy most of Republicans' demands while avoiding a defense. Fault. And here's just what they said at a late night press conference on Tuesday after holding meetings. For the first time in a decade, spending year over year will be cut while still providing critical funding for veterans and national defense. This deal claws back tens of billions in unspent COVID funds, the largest rescission combined in the history of Congress. And this deal will lift millions of Americans out of poverty by strengthening work requirements. But on the other hand, we're also seeing that at least one of the House Republicans who opposed this bill has already come out to say that he would file a motion to vacate House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's leadership position over this deal that he has struck with the White House. And I asked House GOP Whip Congressman Steve Scalise over if he's concerned about this movement. Watch. 
as the bill has now passed the Rules Committee, what's your message to some of your Republican colleagues who might be wanting to join Congressman Bishop's call to vacate Speaker McCarthy's leadership? I don't think that that's where it's going. If you look at the meeting we just had, you know, there were members this morning who were undecided, who had some very valid questions, were getting me information, and by tonight they came up and spoke and said that they're now going to vote for the bill. So I think you're going to continue to see that vote grow. And now, of course, all eyes are on today's developments to see if this bill can stay on track to pass the House by tonight and if it can become law before the June 5th deadline. Back to you. Thank you, Iris. Inside the debt ceiling deal, Republicans successfully got something that they really wanted, stronger work requirements for people receiving federal aid. Well, yeah, for years, the two sides have disagreed about work requirements. Here's a look at the details. Democrats have conceded on a key Republican demand, stronger work requirements for those getting help from the federal government. The stronger requirements mainly involve the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. The program currently requires only qualified individuals between age 18 and 49 to work. But the Republicans have raised that age to 54, so able-bodied recipients would have to work for at least 80 hours a month, which would be less than three hours per day. It's quite reasonable for legislators to say that, well, yes, we do need to extend these work requirements in light of certain truths about changes in the nature of the workforce today. Samuel Gregg is a senior researcher at AIER. He says he believes work requirements are essential for any welfare policy, and that in this case, it makes sense for Republicans to tighten the requirements. There's a recognition here that uh, people are working longer than they once did in the past. There's also a recognition here that unemployment, in terms, especially when it comes to males, is something that has started to creep in among a particular age bracket between 25 and 55. But work requirements are controversial. Democrats generally oppose them, saying they cut people off from help. Republicans generally support them, saying they reduce dependency. Also, studies on their effectiveness are mixed, and they also pose many administrative challenges. For example, tracking whether people are working and whether their jobs qualify. It doesn't really get us out of this continuing cycle of generational poverty. The only way out of generational poverty is truly to improve upon skills and marketability in a meaningful way. J.B. Brown is an investor business coach at White Buffalo Advisors. He says he supports work requirements, but he says the impacts are limited. He says the best way to lift people out of poverty is to help them develop valuable skills. And he finds that work requirements don't achieve that. Looking at politics from a different angle now, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis kicked off his presidential campaign in Iowa. The governor held his first campaign event in the early primary state last night. Florida governor and presidential candidate Ron DeSantis made his first campaign stop at an evangelical church just outside Des Moines, Iowa on Tuesday. It marked the beginning of a busy week that will take him to 12 cities in three early primary states, Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. American decline is not inevitable. It is a choice, and we must choose a new direction for our country. We must choose a path that will lead to a revival of American greatness. In his speech, DeSantis first summarized what he thinks are problems with the Biden administration. 
They include the border crisis, high crime rates, so-called medical authoritarianism, cultural Marxism, and high inflation. We must restore sanity to our nation. We need fiscal and economic sanity. Stop pricing hardworking Americans out of a good standard of living through inflationary borrow, print, and spend policies. Embrace American-produced energy so we can be completely energy independent. The governor then went on to list what he considers his achievements in Florida, including the ban of ESG investments, DEI training, illegal immigrant sanctuary cities, COVID-19 vaccine mandates, and abortions beyond six weeks. While I'm proud of all that, maybe the thing that we're most proud of in Florida is that we have taken a very strong stand for the idea that the purpose of our schools is to educate kids, not to indoctrinate kids. And to that end, Florida has led the way by eliminating critical race theory in our K-12 schools. We're not teaching kids to hate this country or to hate each other with your tax dollars. No, we're going to teach our kids what the Constitution is all about. DeSantis didn't mention his biggest rival in the Republican primary, former President Trump, instead focusing most of his criticism on President Biden. As the first primary state, Iowa will provide an early glimpse into the Republican primary. Trump is scheduled to visit Iowa's Des Moines area on Thursday. Meanwhile, former President Donald Trump is vowing to end birthright citizenship for illegal immigrants if he is reelected to a second term. Trump says the policy will choke off a major incentive for continued illegal immigration. Trump also promised to end what he called the unfair practice of birth tourism. He described how people spent the last few weeks of pregnancy in the U.S. to obtain U.S. citizenship for the child. Under Biden's current policies, even though these millions of illegal border crossers have entered the country unlawfully, all of their future children will become automatic U.S. citizens. Can you imagine? They'll be eligible for welfare, taxpayer-funded health care, the right to vote, chain migration, and countless other government benefits, many of which will also profit the illegal alien parents. This policy is a reward for breaking the laws of the United States. Trump says he will sign an executive order to that effect on day one in office. Such an executive order would probably face major legal hurdles. The 14th Amendment says that all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the U.S. and of the state they reside in. And in related news, the head of the U.S. Border Patrol is retiring at the end of June. He made the announcement yesterday after more than 30 years on the job. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on his departure. U.S. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz is stepping down after one of the busiest years in the history of the agency. Ortiz became chief in August of 2021. He manages close to 20,000 Border Patrol agents. He led the agency through a number of challenges in recent years, including the COVID-19 pandemic and the expiration of Title 42, the pandemic-era public health restriction used by officials to turn back illegal immigrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. Ortiz told the House Homeland Security Committee in March that the U.S. does not have operational control of the southern border. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas praised Ortiz and thanked him for his 32 years of service in a statement released Tuesday night. Mayorkas says selecting Ortiz to lead Border Patrol was among the most important decisions he's made. He applauded Ortiz's decision to postpone his retirement several times, saying the country has been all the better for it. 
Ortiz's last day will be on June 30th. It's not yet clear who will replace him. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Coming up, new research suggests the city of New York is slowly sinking. Find out the causes and what this means for New Yorkers. And we hear the story of a woman who reversed an abortion. She says she was under pressure to have the abortion and that a higher power helped her make her decision. Find out more after the break. Welcome back. We're continuing with war coverage. Russia says Ukraine mounted a drone attack on residential apartment buildings in Moscow yesterday. Ukraine denies any direct involvement. Meanwhile, Kyiv was hit from the air for the third time in 24 hours. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the response from officials. Russian officials say they shot down or diverted eight Ukrainian drones on Tuesday. Minor injuries and damage were reported in residential areas. Russian President Vladimir Putin says the strikes are a terrorist act meant to scare and provoke Moscow. Kyiv chose the path of intimidation of Russian citizens and attacks on residential buildings. It is a clear sign of terrorist activity. There is speculation that Ukraine may have used weapons it received from the U.S. in the attack. The White House responded. I just want to be very clear about that. Uh, but look, we do not support attacks inside of Russia. That's it. Period. The White House press secretary says Russia could end its unprovoked war against Ukraine at any time. Today uh, was also Russia's 17th round of airstrikes on Kyiv just this month alone. Just this month alone, the month of May, which we're almost clearly done with. Many of, of which have devastated uh, civilian areas as Russia continues its brutal attacks. Kyiv's mayor Vitaly Klitschko called the recent attacks terrorism. Actually, in May, we have uh, a lot of attacks uh, to our uh, city, not just uh, to capital of Ukraine, also in other cities, and a lot of people killed from Russian terrorists. It's, it's terrorism. It's not a war. Ukraine denies being directly involved in the attack in Moscow. Russia's envoy to the U.S. said Wednesday that the U.S. failing to condemn the attack is an encouragement for Ukrainian terrorists. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And now some short headlines around the world. A Chinese fighter jet carried out what was called an unnecessarily aggressive maneuver near a U.S. military plane last week. The incident unfolded over the South China Sea in international airspace. The U.S. Indo-Pacific Command said the Chinese jet forced a reconnaissance plane to fly through the jet's wake turbulence. A North Korean satellite launch today ended in failure. The rocket's second stage malfunctioned, sending the craft plunging into the sea. A state news agency said instability in the engine and fuel system caused the setback. It was North Korea's sixth satellite launch attempt and the first since 2016. It was supposed to put North Korea's first spy satellite into orbit. Elon Musk kicked off the second day of his trip to China. The entrepreneur left his Beijing hotel this morning in a Tesla with blacked-out windows. Musk was accompanied by Tesla's China-based public affairs chief and also the head of global manufacturing. His car was later seen parked outside the Commerce Ministry. He is expected to meet other senior Chinese officials and visit Tesla's Shanghai plant later in the week. 
The Reserve Bank of Australia will not start any new contracts with PricewaterhouseCoopers Australia. This until a scandal over the firm's misuse of confidential government tax plans is sorted out. The company is on the defense after a former tax partner shared confidential government tax plans with colleagues. The aim was to drum up business. Next, we hear the first-hand account of a woman who had a change of heart after having a chemical abortion. When she saw the faces of her other children, she did everything she could to reverse the procedure. Here's the story. Raised in Des Moines, Iowa, Sarah Herm, at 26, was on food stamps, living in Section 8 housing. She was pregnant with her fourth child by a third father. The father pressured her into having an abortion, saying she needed to act responsibly. Herm put her Catholic faith off to the side and took the abortion drug Mifepristone. Then came despair, to the point where she couldn't even look her kids in the eye. Seeing them that night, I I literally had to face them away from me. When I would talk to them, I'd have them sit on my lap, but I'd turn them away because looking in their face just was literally a shot to the heart. The sight of her children caused her to have a change of heart. She later saw an ad for the abortion pill reversal hotline. Was it a coincidence? Um, Looking back now, I definitely do feel like God was really helping me and guiding me along my journey. Like, you know, I had thought he had just left me high and dry. I was on my own. I was like, is there even a God at this point, you know? Um, But I feel like he was setting things in motion. She called the hotline. They told her not to take any more of the abortion drugs and connected her with a physician. And I went. We did another ultrasound. He was less excited about the heartbeat activity that they were with yesterday. Um, But he said that there was enough of a heartbeat detected that we would be able to proceed with the regimen um, of reversal, which the regimen is just high doses of progesterone. Um, And at the time he was doing, he opted for injections. So we started with a progesterone injection that day. The doctor said the reversal might not be successful, but Herm was determined. She needed to know she had done everything in her power to have the baby. Weeks of treatment went by and then she got good news. She was likely to carry her baby to term. I was very happy to have him and he was just so perfect and chunky and healthy and all he wanted to do was just be like right on top of me doing skin to skin. Luckily, Sarah and Isaiah were spared from the life-threatening complications of the abortion drug. The experience changed her perspective on abortion, and now she says she's unapologetically pro-life, but from a very compassionate standpoint. New York City is slowly sinking. That's according to some new research. It shows the island city is slowly sinking under the weight of its skyscrapers, homes, asphalt, and large population. Here's Entities Costumines to tell us more. More than one million buildings are spread across New York City's five boroughs. According to the calculations, those structures add up to more than one and a half trillion tons of concrete, metal, and glass. Despite being a very slow process, lead researcher Tom Parsons of the U.S. Geological Survey says parts of the city will eventually be underwater. It's inevitable the ground's going down, the water's coming up. At some point, those two levels will meet, but I just am not able to give you a date. Using satellite imagery, the research points out the massive weight of the buildings contributing to what is known as subsidence. 
which makes the city sink at a rate of around 1 to 2 millimeters per year. Some parts of the city are more at risk due to varying compression levels and density of the soil. We have different kinds of soils across New York City, including artificial fill that, can, uh, that was put in to enhance some of the land areas, and that can uh, uh, sink just under its own weight because it's so poorly consolidated. And if you build on that, of course, that exacerbates it. But Parsons adds that there is no need to be alarmed just yet, as it will likely take several hundred years before New York becomes America's version of Venice. Costa Menes, NTD News. And New York City isn't the only place that's sinking. There's quite a few places around the world, including San Francisco and Indonesia. Yeah, and in Indonesia, the government is actually planning on moving from its current capital, Jakarta, to a capital on higher ground on an entirely different island. And construction's already underway. Good to have you back. NTD is about to host its very first beauty pageant. Applications are currently open, but before it begins and we're all glued to our TV screens, we heard from two members of the Honorary Advisory Board. Why do they want to endorse this pageant and what is true beauty to them? The first entity global Chinese beauty pageant aims at helping women showcase their true beauty. It's an effort to educate young Chinese women about their heritage and think about the traditional values that came from ancient Chinese culture. Jim Chandler and Jen Gotson are part of the Honorary Advisory Board this year. For Jim, it's the traditional values that set this pageant apart from others. You're focusing on the, the culture and the rich culture, Chinese culture, which includes things like you know, being righteous, being benevolent and being faithful. Jim and his wife are in the entertainment industry themselves. Jen started her career in the Oscar-nominated film Frost Nixon, while Jim started his career with a gig on Drop Dead Diva and is now working on Disney's Chang Can Dunk. I've done some projects uh, on multiple networks and uh, me and my wife ended up uh, producing our own movie starting in 2016 that we released in 2020. Jen, who's had experience in the pageant and modeling world, came up with the idea for The Farmer and the Bell. The movie is about a model who's at the tail end of her career. She struggles to find self-worth until she discovers that true beauty is actually what's inside of us. True beauty is actually how we serve others and how we use our gifts to serve other people. How we love and how we can help others is what really makes us beautiful. Our first line is about inner beauty, uh, which is why we're so excited to be here with the pageant because it's the same foundation of core values. It worked out so well that they have created a franchise and a sequel, and it's a family affair. And are you going to be in the sequel? Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. And now Jim thinks the Entity Beauty pageant will give the young women an opportunity to showcase their true beauty. We really show people how beautiful we are by showing acts of love. Um, because there can be somebody who may not have the same aesthetics as somebody else, but who has such a beautiful spirit that you can't help but be attracted to them. And it isn't because of their outward appearance, it's because of the, what they have inside their soul, their spirituality, their kindness, their gentleness, their, their peace. Miss NTD will be judged on five essential inner values, morality, righteousness, propriety, benevolence, and faithfulness. For Jen, one of these things take the spotlight. I think benevolence is the strongest point because it's about kindness. At the end of the day, we could do all of these things, 
But if we're not kind to someone, it doesn't matter. The grace when someone walks up on stage and they answer a question, the politeness when they meet somebody passing in the hall, and the gentleness when they see someone serving, even as a custodian, the love and the kindness really set someone else apart. And for those that are thinking of competing, she had some good advice. Address each person by giving excellent eye contact. But also repeat the question before you get to the answer on stage. This will give you time to think and above all, have fun. What an interesting take on a beauty pageant. I'm excited to meet the contestants. Yes, I know it is. And they're judging on the deeper qualities of a person. Yeah, qualities that don't fade over time. Ah, that's true. All right, we're going to end the show here. Write us, as usual, at goodmorning at ntd.com if you have anything to share with us. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.